We're going to look at the passage in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 46. Let me just read that. Matthew 25, starting at verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people, one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. And you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is truth. And we just pray this morning, Lord, that as we look at this passage and other verses of Scripture, Lord, you'll just open the eyes of our hearts, open our minds, Lord, to hear and to see and to understand what you want to say to us today from this Scripture. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. So it's quite a a, a sobering and challenging scripture. And it's interesting that Jesus links the final judgment, the separation of the sheep and goats, with acts of service that he expects of us. He's linked them together in this particular parable in this passage. And it's quite unfashionable today, isn't it, to, uh, to talk about hell. And some, even within the church, would seek to deny its existence. But Jesus leaves us in no doubt in this passage and in other places in Scripture 
he leaves us no doubt that there's two very distinct uh, destinations, two very distinct places where we could spend eternity. And I feel that if Jesus, who is the truth, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. If he says it's so, then as far as I'm concerned, it's definitely so. But praise God, he's provided a plan of salvation that ensures, guarantees that we can be certain of our own eternal destination. Let's be very clear this morning. It's already been mentioned right from the beginning with Sam uh, talking about grace. We can't earn our place in heaven. We can't earn by works our salvation. It's only by grace that we've been saved. We're all sinners saved by grace. We can't be saved by works, by visiting people in prison or in hospital or providing food for the poor. But it's these acts of service that Jesus refers to and all other kind of work for the kingdom. We perform it because we're grateful for what Jesus has done for us on the cross, not to earn our salvation. And we use the story of Zach, or Zacchaeus to give him his full title, In Luke 19, verses 1 to 10, we use that story in the Sycamore Tree uh, program. That's where the the course actually gets its name from, fairly obviously. But we use it because it's an excellent example of restorative justice. We use it like as a case study right through the course, and it forms the backbone of the course. I'm sure you're familiar with the story, but just to quickly kind of paraphrase it, there's this little guy, he's quite short, his name's Zacchaeus, we call him Zach. And he's, he's found a nice little earner, as they say, as a tax collector, working for the Romans. He lives in Jericho, and the, Roman, the Romans are the occupying army there. And he's become quite rich. He's not just a tax collector. He's one of the chief tax collectors. So he's got all nice house. He's got all the designer clothes. He's got all the bling. Even the latest model camel. You know, he's really got the top top of the range. And, uh, you know, he's not too popular because of that, as you can imagine. This day he hears that a celebrity is coming to town. Now, 2,000 years ago, there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook, there's no phones. Everything gets passed on by word of mouth. But Jesus was causing quite a commotion. He was doing some amazing things. Just earlier that very same day, he'd, he'd, he'd restored the sight of a blind man. So Zacchaeus was a bit curious about this. He wanted to get a, a look at what was going on. He might have thought he'd been able to get a bit of tax out of them. You never know. So there's quite a crowd gathered to see Jesus and his entourage come by. They're not going to let little Zach through to the front, but he looks down the road and there's a tree. That's sycamore tree. Sycamore fig tree to give it its full title, but um, let's call it a sycamore tree. So he runs down the road, climbs the tree. He thinks he'll just sit up the tree and just watch Jesus go by, but Jesus stops and says, hey, 
come down. I'm coming to your house for a bit of a scoff. I wonder what he thought when, you know, Jesus calls him down. How does he know his name? He might have been quite pleased. I mean, these are the kind of things we ask the guys and ladies on the course just to think about, you know, but uh, to add a little bit to the story, you know, what, what do you think he was thinking? He might have been quite pleased that of all the people there, Jesus has called him down, who wants to speak to him. Or he might have thought, well, oh, he's on to me. He knows what I've been doing. Anyway, that was a life-changing encounter for Zacchaeus because when he comes out of that meeting with Jesus, he holds his hands up, he says, I'm sorry. And he doesn't just uh, say he's sorry, he shows he's sorry by giving back four times what he's stolen off people. And then, from what's left, he gives half his fortune away. That's what you call making restitution. And so we use that right through the course. We look at it, first of all, we might say, well, you know, who was Zach's victims? We do what we call a ripple diagram. You know, you, you've probably seen something like that. You just picture throwing a, peb- a pebble in a little puddle. All these ripples go out. So Zach's name would be in the middle and all the different victims of Zach on, in the ripple diagram. And then we'd say, well, right, now think about your crime. Who are your victims? Who's been affected by your crime? And we keep doing that. We keep doing that right through the course. So it's, it's an excellent example of restorative just, um, justice. So then we take them through the restorative justice process. So a little bit of the course coming up here now. Are you you driving or am I from? (laughs) Oh, there we go. Right. So the restorative justice process. Is it? Is it just a press? <laughs> All right. I should have let Phil drive. Thank you, mate. Thank you. Yeah, the restorative justice process. So confession, or other words similar to confession, admitting guilt, owning up, putting your hand up, taking responsibility. That's the first stage of the process. And sometimes, you know, people can't get that past that particular first stage because they're in denial about what they've been up to. Uh, Particularly uh, thinking of a drug dealer in Forest Bank who was absolutely um, outraged, really, that he was in prison. The law was wrong. He's a businessman, he tells tells me. He had some very influential and important clients, uh, university lecturers, barristers. He was providing a service. But when Lynn and Mick came in on week three and told their story about how two guys high on a cocktail of drugs actually stabbed their son and killed him. He started to kind of climb down a little bit on that one. But that's the essential first step of the process and confession leads to repentance. Uh, Being sorry, showing you sorry. Perhaps even a bit more powerful than that. And then we say uh, repentance may lead to forgiveness because yeah, it's, it's, we can't guarantee that uh, the victims of those individuals' uh, offences are going to even accept an apology, never mind forgive them. So we can only say it may lead to forgiveness, 
and then it may lead to reconciliation, bringing back together something that's been broken and damaged by uh, the particular offence. And that, that's the restorative justice process. That's what we uh, refer to it as in the, um, in the course. But, of course, when it was written by Luke nearly 2,000 years ago, he probably didn't have a clue that one day it would actually be used in prisons as a, as a course, the, um, the story of Zacchaeus. And in fact, it's originally, and it still is, primarily the process of salvation. That is the process of salvation. Because we recognize as individuals that we've sinned, we've sinned against our creator God, who actually created us to be in relationship with him. And sin came into the world when Adam disobeyed, and that broke that relationship and caused a separation. But praise the Lord, he's provided, he's provided a way back. He's provided a very costly way back. In fact, it cost a king's ransom. But you know that wonderful verse of scripture, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. God provided that um, solution to the problem, provided a way back. But we need to acknowledge that our offense, our sin, has caused hurt and harm. It's caused hurt and it's caused harm to God. We sang in, in that song, we just sung, it was my sin that held him there on that cross. It was your sin that held Jesus to the cross. And we need to repent, we need to confess and repent that. And as we seek forgiveness, and as it's received, we then reconcile back to God. That separation has been healed because God sees us clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. So it's the same process, it's the same stages to go through, but with that fantastic, amazing, big difference, of course, because with the process of salvation, there's no ifs or buts or maybes. It's absolutely guaranteed. John says in his um, first letter, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, and he'll forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. No ifs, no buts, no maybes. So what should our response be? What do these have in common? The Ritz Hotel, Rolls-Royce Bentley, Paragon Fine China, the makers of Tabasco sauce, Well, along with eight, about 800 other companies, they have what's called the Royal Warrant. They're able to display that on their notepaper to say, by appointment to the Queen, or the Duke of Edinburgh issues some, or Prince Charles. By Royal Appointment.
Maybe you can see where I'm going with this. Uh, they have the royal warrant from the queen of a, let's face it, fairly insignificant little country in our world. We have the royal warrant from the king of kings and the lord of lords, the creator and sustainer of the universe. Consider this scripture. This is John 15 and verse 16. Jesus speaking, he says, you didn't choose me. You did not choose me. Now we may say, I've given my life to Jesus. And that's great. I trust that everybody here this morning has given their lives to Jesus. But remember, he actually chose you first. He chose you. You did not choose me, Jesus says, but I chose you. Isn't that amazing? The King of kings and the Lord of lords chose us. Ralph, Jesus chose you. Paula, Jesus chose you. He chose each one of you. Not only did he choose you, he appointed you. There it is. There's the royal warrant by appointment to the king, by the king of kings and the lord of lords. He appointed you to go. Why? He appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Now that doesn't mean he wants you to be in the green grocery business. Not at all. He wants you to be in the building business, the extension business the extension of his kingdom. That's not the full verse. The full verse actually ends with the words, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And this is a promise that completes this particular verse. The Father wants to lavish his blessings upon each one of us. You know, it's almost 25 years, 25 years next month, Christmas Eve, 1989. Next door, when I walked down the steps of the baptism pool, those steps now form the cross in our prayer room. If you're not, if you're new to the fellowship, uh, have a look in the prayer room. The old steps from the baptistry, which was where the kitchen is now, below that. 25 years next month. I was baptised by. The two Brians, Brian Howden and Brian Mortisher. And that verse, John 15, verse 16, was my baptism verse. It's a special, special verse of scripture. So we're appointed. Jesus was anointed. Right at the beginning of his earthly ministry, you remember he went into the temple, he picked out the scroll of Isaiah, he opened it up and he read those words that Isaiah had actually written six or seven hundred years earlier. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Right at the start of the ministry, he was anointed. He declared he was anointed. 
He then passed that anointing onto us as he was preparing to leave this earth just before his crucifixion when he was talking to the disciples about sending the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So Jesus is passing this anointing onto us. And John confirms that we are anointed in, again in his, his epistle, first epistle, uh, chapter 2, verse 20 says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. Verse 27, as for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just just as it has taught you, remain in him. Remain in Jesus. And so we've been appointed, we're anointed, and we're authorized. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That great commission, the great command, which, um, you know, there's no higher authority than this, is there? All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, and he then tells us to go. We're appointed, anointed, and authorized for the service to the king. We're told in scripture that we're to be imitators of Christ. We're told in scripture that we're to be ambassadors for the gospel. You know, some churches, you wonder whether they see the greatest great commandment, the great commission as an optional extra what a privilege it is to worship here in a church where there is so much evidence of that great commission being uh, put into practice. All the things that Ralph referred to as well that um, people in this church are involved in. It's a real privilege to be part of a church that's, that's alive. But there's always room to do more, isn't there? How do we put all this into practice? Well, if you were at the church meeting on last Thursday, you'll know that our leadership team have been working very hard. And um, one of the things that they've been working on is a a vision and a strategy, which was unveiled at the uh, the meeting on Thursday. It looks looks very good. I mean, with a a large church, there's always going to be individuals that uh, might want to tweak something here, tweak something there, and that's fine, but... It's, uh, they're trying to keep it to a, a statement that's uh, less, was it 100 words, John? Yes, yeah, something like, no more than 100 words. And I know that we do need to have a statement like that, especially when we're looking for a new uh, minister. But I was just thinking back when I first started in prisons ministry. Um, Dorothy <laughs> enlisted us. Uh, me and Eric to help with running Alpha in Risley Prison. The chaplain there at the time was John Sefton. And uh, 
we did about 12 um, Alpha courses over the, the six-year period before John retired. We, d we did about 12 Alpha courses, two a year, and John would buy some um, little bracelets to give to the, the men who'd been through the course at the end of the course, and just had four initials on it. You may remember them, WWJD. What would Jesus do? Now, just a little reminder to the guys who've been through Alpha, just to stop and think sometime and say, well, what would Jesus do in this situation? I like that because it's nice and short. In any situation, ask yourself, what would Jesus do? You know, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, he answered, well, basically, it's to love God with everything that you've got and to love people. That's it. Nice and short. Nice and succinct. So I believe that we're, um, we're called to fulfill Christ's ministry to the least, the lost and the broken. And there's so many people that fall into that category not too far from us. We, we, we've heard already about some of the wonderful work that's going on down in Gorton with that Oasis Trust. And there's just so much locally and internationally that we can get involved in. The harvest field is really, really vast. And for people who are feeling harassed and helpless, people who are feeling that they've got no hope, well, we've got the antidote. We've got the antidote. Let's look at that, uh, that verse of Scripture that says, when talking about Jesus, it says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his, his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We're to see people that we come into contact through those eyes of Jesus to have compassion on them and to respond. We know the shepherd. We know the shepherd so we can lead folk to him. Yeah, for some of us it may be prisons ministry. For others it's pastoral care. It's hospital visiting, messy church, toddlers, sanctuary cafe, the charity shop. There's lots of opportunities to reach out to the least, the lost, and the broken. We're appointed to this work. We're anointed for it. And we do it under the highest authority. And we can offer the antidote for those harassed and helpless people enslaved by sin. So this morning, can I ask you, have you asked God what area of service he has for you? You can be sure that he does have one for you, at least one. And our scripture this morning tells us the consequences of not responding to that call. But when we do, we'll hear the king say, whatever you did for the least of these uh, brothers of mine, you did for me. Surely there's no higher calling than to be in the service of the King. Let's pray.
Father, we just thank you again for our salvation. We thank you again this morning for Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were obedient to the Father's will, even to death on the cross. Lord, thank you that you were willing to pay the price of my sin and the sin of each person here this morning. Lord, help us to offer ourselves in your service, Lord, in the service of the King, to wherever you want to direct us, to wherever you want to use us. May we be fruitful in all that we do for you, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.